Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. So we are in a sermon series entitled Storytime, where we're looking at the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to continue with Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. And I invite you to hear the Word of God as I read the Scriptures. The Gospel says, Matthew, excuse me, not Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew says, Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here. And in this parable, we seek to understand more about your kingdom. In this story that you told all those years ago, we seek to get a glimpse of an aspect of your kingdom. We know that no parable explains it in its fullness. We know that human words cannot grasp your kingdom in its fullness. But we know that through these stories, you have revealed to us a glimpse of your kingdom. Help us to see that now. Help us to trust that you are the ruler of this kingdom, that you are the judge, and help us to trust your judgments, Lord. So deepen our trust in you through this parable. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I have a very, very long time friend, someone that I've known literally longer than we can figure out. I was actually just hanging out with him and his family. We met up um, for, you know, get our families together. And we were trying to figure out just a week ago when we had actually met. And we couldn't pinpoint it. So this is like elementary school on. What's funny, though, is about this very long and deep friendship, there was a period of two years, our first two years in high school, where we absolutely despised each other, couldn't stand each other. We were both in the same church youth group, and we would both show up, but we knew each other pretty well. So I knew some stuff in his life was going on, and that when he was coming to church, he was a little fake. He was a little inauthentic. I may have used the word fraud now and then to describe him. You know, sources differ, but... I thought he was fake. And because of that, I thought he didn't really belong there. That he really shouldn't be there. That he shouldn't be putting up a front. He shouldn't be deceiving everybody. Meanwhile, while I was thinking that of him, he was looking at me. And he was thinking, he's fake. He 
knew about some stuff in my life. Obviously, we knew about some stuff in each other's lives because we were traveling in the same circles. But he knew some stuff in my life, and he knew that when I was coming to church, I was putting up a front. And maybe he called me a fraud too. But he got it in his head that I shouldn't be there. So the two of us, after knowing each other through elementary school and into junior high, we hit high school, and we both thought the other one was fake and shouldn't be there at church. And it began this kind of passive-aggressive two-year-long span in our friendship. I think that Jesus' parable, this one that I just read, it challenges that idea. The idea that somebody shouldn't be there in church. For us, it was because we thought each other were fake. But for any reason that you might think that somebody shouldn't be there in church, this parable challenges that idea. Whether you think that they don't believe correctly, or whether you think there's something in their life that means they shouldn't be there in church, or whether they vote a certain way and you don't like that. This parable challenges the idea that that person should not be in church. And let me explain what I mean here. Like many other of Jesus' parables, this one has to do with farming. There's seeds involved. There's a field. And on the surface, it's simple. The parable of the wheat and the weeds is a simple parable on the surface, like all of Jesus's. It tells a story of a man, I'm going to call him the farmer from here on out, who sows good seed. And then in the evening, when everyone else is asleep, his enemy comes and sows wheat. Sorry, weeds amongst the wheat. Can we just comment about how annoying of an enemy this is? To just take the time to do that. And what frustrates me about this too is that the enemy doesn't even seem to want credit for this. The type of weeds that would be planted here, it would have taken years. It would have taken a long amount of time to understand that the weeds had been planted. So it's not even like he wants credit for this. He just wants to ruin the life of the farmer. It's pretty annoying. But then Jesus' parable, it builds this dramatic tension. And it builds up to this moment And actually, our youth director, Ryan, he framed this better than I've heard anybody else frame this. We were talking about this parable in our staff meeting earlier in the week. And Ryan said that when he reads this, the way he imagines it is that there's a cabin there. And there's a porch on the cabin and there's a field. And in a rocking chair sitting on the porch is the farmer rocking back and forth, holding a coffee cup. It's early in the morning, but we all know there's whiskey in that coffee cup. And if this is a movie, he's played by somebody like Clint Eastwood. And all the slaves run up and saying, there's bad seed here. There's bad seed here. Did you plant this? And he slowly, calmly rocks back and forth, takes a sip. And then his Clint Eastwood voice says, this was the enemy. (laughs) Was that a good Clint Eastwood? I'm doing my best here. Was that, did I hit it? Did I do it? Was that okay? Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But you can see that it's one of those tense moments where there is dramatic tension built here. And then the slaves ask another question. Do you want us to gather them? And this is where this parable, like so many others of Jesus's, takes a surprising turn. You would expect the answer to be, yes, get all the bad stuff out of there. Yes, clear all the bad stuff out so that we have just the good seed growing, just the wheat. But that's not what the farmer says. 
He says, no, let them grow together. Let them grow together. Because if you try to take the bad stuff out of there, you're going to destroy the good with it, is essentially what he's saying. Let them grow together, he says. So what is Jesus actually talking about in this parable? Remember, parable is a Greek word. To throw alongside is what it means. So what is Jesus throwing this one alongside? Well, he gives us an explanation later on here in the Gospel of Matthew. Just a few verses later, Jesus gives us a a deeper look into this parable. Matthew goes on to say, Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. So Jesus takes this parable and makes it a little more intense. He gets into the weeping and gnashing of teeth and the fiery furnace. And I want to just tease something here. If that's what you're really interested in, then make sure to come next week because we're going to talk about that directly next week. We're going to address the whole weeping and gnashing of teeth in the Gospel of Matthew next week more clearly. But in this parable, Jesus explains a couple of things about what he's talking about here. But like so many of Jesus' explanations with his parables, it only seems to go so far in helping us understand what this means for our lives. So first, Jesus makes clear that the field represents the world. This is God's creation. This is all that God has made here. This world that we inhabit is represented there in the field. And we learn that the plants, the wheat and the weeds, they represent people. So who are the wheat? Well, Jesus says the wheat are the children of the kingdom. And this is where I wish Jesus would have been a little more specific for us. Because what does that mean? We know that it means somebody who is hearing God's will and is responding. We know that it means somebody who takes God's kingdom seriously and who follows God's will. But how do we ever know if any individual person, including ourselves, is actually a child of the kingdom? There's a lot of unknown there. Jesus doesn't really give us this simple checklist to say, this is what you look for, check it off, and this person is a child of the kingdom. We can never know with any level of certainty who actually falls into that category. Jesus goes on in the parable, though, in his explanation, and says that the weeds represent people also. The weeds are the children of the evil one. If you want to know who the weeds are, that's Jesus' answer, the children of the evil one. Now, we might want to try to put people in that category, say they're children of the evil one, but we have to be very, very careful. Whenever you want to pronounce somebody a child of the evil one, you have to have a level of certainty that I think it is impossible for human beings to ever have. And this is where this parable 
And if we're trying to just put people in categories, I think we miss the point of it. I think it becomes clear when you look at throughout history, the consequences of Christians trying to call people children of the evil one. One very clear example of this, if you go back and look at history, is the Salem witch trials. If you know your U.S. history or your pre-U.S. history, you're familiar with the Salem witch trials. It was a time period where in the Northeast, Christians began labeling people, often young girls, as children of the evil one, as witches. And then Christians murdered them. They did these fake false trials that made no sense, and then they would take the lives of these young girls. When I say you run a risk when you label somebody a child of the evil one, there are real consequences that can come from that. And Christians have engaged in behavior that is very clearly outside of God's kingdom, very clearly outside of what God was hoping for, for those young girls. And this has happened numerous times in the church's history. If you want to try to label somebody a child of the evil one and try to take this parable and figure out in your life, you run a very risky path of harming others, harming yourself, and falling outside of God's will and really revealing to the world that you actually aren't a child of the kingdom when you do that. So we have to be very, very careful when taking these categories that Jesus is talking about and trying to apply them to our lives. We have to recognize that we are limited in our own understandings. So then what do we do with this parable? What do you do with Jesus telling us that there's these two categories of human beings and they're there together in the field? I think in order to understand what we actually do with this parable, we have to go back to what the farmer says there. When asked by the slaves, his servants, if he wants them to pull the weeds and the wheat apart, he says, no, let them grow together. Let them stay together there. Let them live together. Let them grow together. And then he goes on to say, at the time of the harvest, he's going to figure it out. We as Christians can spend a lot of time trying to figure out who is in, who is out, who belongs, who doesn't. But the point of this parable is to tell us that's not ours to figure out. Jesus is going to take care of that. And if you're trying to figure it out for yourself, if you're putting yourself in the place of the judge, you're actually displaying a lack of trust in Jesus's judgments and Jesus's ability to figure it out. This parable what do we do with it? I think we learn to trust Jesus's judgments better than our own with this parable. To believe him when he says he's actually going to figure out who was in, who was out. That he's going to be the one who figures out who belongs and who doesn't. And he's the one who will decide who are children of the kingdom and who are not. Now, this may sound like a bit of a new idea because a lot of Christians seem to believe today that we are in the position to say who is in and who is out. But this is actually the standard position of the church. This is the majority position of the church through its history. Those times of trying to figure out who an evil one is, that's actually more rare. When you look at the standard theology of the church that's been passed down to us, they've usually recognized that we don't know who is in and who is out. John Calvin, a theologian that I read and that I find a lot of truth in, he 
uses the term visible church and invisible church. According to Calvin, the visible church is the stuff that we can see. It's the people who show up at church, the people who are members of a church, the people that you can look at and say they're part of this community. But according to Calvin and many other theologians, there are people who don't actually follow Jesus who will fall into that category. There are people who aren't taking the gospel seriously who will be part of that category. So whatever judgments you have, you have to hold them loosely. And then Calvin talks about the invisible church. And many other theologians have talked about this as well. The invisible church is the people whom God will save. The people whom God will redeem. And pretty much every theologian who has looked at this has said, we have no idea who is in the invisible church. It's called invisible for a reason. We can't see it. So whatever judgments we might have, the standard position of the church is actually hold those very loosely. Don't place yourself in the place of the judge. Don't place yourself in the position of having to figure out who belongs here in church and who doesn't. Now, on the one hand, if you embrace this message of this parable, of what Jesus is saying, that he's going to take care of it, and it's not ours to figure out. If you really trust what Jesus says, this is going to create some tension in your life. Because let's be frank, it's not easy to live life and be in community with people that you really disagree with. It's much easier to just separate from them, act like they don't exist, and then demonize them and talk about them without them in the room. That's much easier. If you embrace the truth that Jesus is going to figure out, and you actually embrace the people that God brings into your life, even if you disagree with them about important things, there's going to be tension in your life. It's not easy. But each time you feel that tension, that's an opportunity to deepen your trust that Jesus actually knows what he's talking about, and that he brought somebody into your life for a reason, and to trust him that he will figure out what he needs to figure out in their lives. So on the one hand, embracing this parable, it will create tension in your life. But on the other hand, it can create release also. Because the pressure of having to figure this all out, it was never ours to begin with. The pressure of having to decide who is in, who is out, it was never placed in our hands. It has always been in God's hands. And any lines we want to draw, I don't think God really cares that much the truth is, our perspective is limited. And thank God that we aren't the judges because we're pretty bad at it. I think back to that story I told you, my friend and me. For two years, we thought neither of us should be in church. We grew out of that eventually. But we were both right and we were both wrong. We were right in the fact that the truth was, both of us were incredibly fake. Both of us were putting up facades. We were both frauds. We were faking it when we went to church. And we shouldn't have been doing that, but we were wrong in the determination that the other one shouldn't be there. Because the fact was, if he shouldn't have been there, I definitely shouldn't have been there. And for each and every one of us, if you want to point to somebody that you think doesn't belong in this community centered on Jesus' resurrection, dig deep enough in your own life and you'll realize if they don't belong, you don't belong. None of us truly belongs here because of the signs that we show in this life. We belong here, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus' love, Jesus' grace, and Jesus' mercy. He is going to figure out, at the end of the ages, who belongs where. Between now and then, we point to his character, we help people trust in him. And we recognize that we have limited perspective.
John Calvin, in discussing the invisible church and the visible church, he says, we have limited perspective. We have to hold our judgments loosely. This is something John Calvin said, not somebody who's known for holding judgments loosely. But he says this, for those who seemed utterly lost and quite beyond hope are by God's goodness called back to the way. While those who more than others seem to stand firm often fall. You have no idea what, some, what God is going to do in someone's life. You have no idea what the Holy Spirit is already doing in someone's life, what the Holy Spirit has already done in someone's life. So whatever judgments you have, hold them loosely. And the people that God brings into your life, embrace them. Figure out how to love them, even if you disagree, especially if you disagree, especially if you think there's something wrong in their life. Determine a way to show them the love of Jesus. Now, love doesn't mean that anything goes. And if somebody is harming you, if somebody is doing something dangerous to you or to themselves, you have to draw boundaries around certain behavior, but you have to do so in a way that loves and honors that person. So what do we do with this parable? I think first off, we recognize Jesus is the judge. And we deepen our trust in him. We let him figure out at the end of the ages who is in, who is out, who belongs, who doesn't. That is his to figure out, not ours. What else do we do? We love the people that God brings into our lives. Especially if we disagree. Especially if there's something in their life that we would think maybe they shouldn't be at church. That probably means that they should be here. And then what do we do? I think we do what the Sermon on the Mount calls each and every one of us to do. What the Gospel of Matthew pulls us back to do, which is reflect God's character as best as we can, as we see it in Jesus. So that when we tell people to trust the God we worship, they see that God's character in us and how we behave with each other. That they experience God's grace, God's redemption, and God's mercy through how we treat each other. We model that so that this world can place their trust and hope in Jesus also. That's what I think we do with this parable at the end of the day. So may Jesus deepen your trust. May you trust his judgments, not your own. And may you point your eyes towards him. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that it's actually not in our hands to determine who is a child of the kingdom and who is a child of the evil one. We thank you that you didn't put us in the position where we figure that out. And we thank you that the parable of the wheat and the weeds makes that clear. Let them grow together, you say. Don't try to tear the bad away from the good. Lord, we know that that can mean tension for us. We know that that can be uncomfortable at times. But Lord, that is what you call us to. So instead of pointing our eyes towards one another... Instead of trying to figure out who is in and who is out, Lord, help us to turn everybody's eyes towards you. Help us to lift you up. Help us to explain to people who you are. Show people who you are. That they might experience your love, your grace, your redemption, your mercy, and your justice, Lord. And as we move to take our offering now, we ask that you also would bless this offering. That we might be a community that reflects your character. That lets people know who you are. That because of the way we treat each other, people might deepen their hope and trust in you, Lord. So we thank you that you've challenged us with this parable. 
And help us, Lord, to let you be the judge now. We thank you, we praise you. It's in your name we pray, amen.
You call.